Man, we have an awesome treat for you guys. This is what this conference is all about, is everybody that has in some way poured into me and helped me to see the kingdom of God and, and just, uh, just the ways of God in a new and fresh way. I wanted to get them in the room with you guys so that y'all could impart on some of the things that I've been able to impart over, just be blessed with the relationships that I've been able to to kind of lean into. And so uh, I want to call up my friend, Frank Viola, to come up at this time. And would you guys just give me a warm welcome? Love this man. This man showed me how to see the Bible and Jesus in a whole new light. And he just exudes the excellencies and the beauties of God. And so I just honor you, Frank. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, brother. All right. Make sure I have this thing on correct. The man in the back. Am I doing it right? Well, if you have a Bible, I'd like to ask you to turn to John. John chapter 20 and as you're turning there I want to share a few things with you the first of which is I have traveled all over the world I have been in many states but this is the first time I have ever been in Hot Springs Arkansas <laughs> Finally, hot springs. <laughs> if the guys could see me now. Where's Frankie V? He's in Hot Springs, Arkansas. He must be in the witness protection program. We lost Frankie V. He's in Hot Springs. Uh, I've been having a great time and I did see the hot springs. I did not dare touch the scalding water, but I saw the smoke coming up from the ground. And uh, I've been here since Monday, abiding Pastor Matthews, and it has been great. I don't know if you've seen his comical side, but he is a clown raised to the 20th power. Where is he? Oh man, the things I can tell you that happened over the last three days. Some of you may not know who I am, so I'll give you a brief introduction. I was born at a very young age, <laughs> raised in the town where I grew up, and I have lived most of my life. And that tells you absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I'll, I'll enlarge on that. I was born in New Jersey. I was raised in New York. And for most of my life, I have been living in an inferno called Florida. Is anybody from Florida or anyone live in Florida? All right, we have two people. Has anyone been in Florida, visited in the summer? Oh, okay. Well, those of you who have not had that wonderful experience, let me tell you what Florida is like in the summer. Imagine hell and add 10 degrees. <laughs> I am full-blooded Italian, so I'm a real OG, Olive Garden. I just haven't brought any breadsticks with me. But if I get passionate, if I get loud, it's because I'm Italian. We're known for getting loud. My father will be at a restaurant, and if he doesn't like something, he'll tell the waiter, you don't want me getting loud. And they give him whatever he wants. <laughs> Forget about it. A word about my religious roots. I've never confessed this before, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I used to have a, a drug problem when I was very young. I was drugged to church every Sunday morning. <laughs> I was drugged to church every Sunday night, and I was drugged to church every Wednesday night. And yes, that's a joke. I did not have a drug problem. I was saved, I came to Christ in an Assemblies of God. And then I started attending a Church of God, Pentecostal, and that's where I was baptized. From there I traversed many, many different expressions of the charismatic world, 
from Open Bible to Word Faith to Vineyard. And so I feel very at home here. And from there, I started to experiment by visiting many, many different denominational churches, evangelical churches, non-denominational churches. And so my background is very eclectic, but through all of those experiences, there was a question that was burning in me. And that question was, this is wonderful, but there has to be more than this. There's gotta be more. And that's what led me on to what I call the deeper journey. And that's the name of my ministry, the deeper journey. But I will say a kind word about the Pentecostals and Charismatics. They are the blondes of the Christian faith. They have more fun. So the conference is called Sons and Daughters. I was thinking about that this morning and it raised a question that I want to ask and I want you to ponder and then I want to answer it. How did God, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, become your father? How did he become your father? Now we know that when Jesus was on the earth, he often, countless times, called God his father, which got him into hot water because that was something you did not say, even in the Jewish world. But how did he become our father? Not as a metaphor, not as a figure of speech, but truly our father. And it goes back to John 20. Hopefully you're there by now. I want you to look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, to Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now this is the resurrected Christ. Yeah. He has just broken through the grave and he is risen. And he said, but go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now, what is significant about this is that up until this point, when Jesus was on the earth with his disciples, the most intimate name he used for them was friends. You are my friends. But here, in resurrection, something is about to happen where they're no longer just his friends. They're his brothers and sisters. And God is no longer the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's their father just as much as he is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something happened. Something shifted. Something dramatic, profound took place. And we see what it is as we read a little further. He's in a sealed room. And ten of his disciples are there. Judas is out of the picture, unfortunately. And Thomas had something better to do that day. So it's just the ten. <laughs> and Jesus Christ, in his resurrected state, penetrates that wall without opening a door. And in verse 21, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. Now I'm sending you. And when he said this, he took a deep breath. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And the life of God himself, the life of God the Father, which is in the Holy Spirit, penetrated their dead spirits and quickened them. And now they became the sons of God, having God's own life. And the only begotten Son of God that day became the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Yeah. 
So how did God become your father? He imparted the divine life into you. What's birth? The impartation of life. And that's what the new birth is, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ became a life-giving spirit when he was resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And we have been born of that spirit because of his resurrection. He could not impart the spirit of life until he was resurrected. That's when the one grain fell into the ground and died. But when it sprung up, in resurrection, it became many grains. And he is not ashamed to call you brother and sister. Praise the Lord. Amen. You are kin to divinity. You have the life of God indwelling you. In fact, you have Jesus Christ dwelling in you. See, when you read the Gospels, you see this amazing, incomparable Christ. You see this incredible, magnificent Jesus doing all these amazing things. How he responds to the religious leaders with wisdom that is so profound. They try to trap him and he comes out of left field and he just throws an answer at them that just stuns them and shuts their mouths. And how much mercy he has. You look at all the people who he saved, delivered, freed, rescued even from death. The woman caught in adultery with such mercy, indescribable compassion. Well, sisters and brothers, when you open up the pages of the Gospels and you read about this incredible Christ, that same Christ lives in you. Same Lord, same Christ by the Spirit. Paul said, it is not I who lives, but Christ in me. And the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 is called the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. It's no different. He's no different. The Spirit is no different. Christ dwells in us by the Spirit. And here is a definition of the Christian life. Here is a definition of discipleship. It is learning how to live by the indwelling Christ who lives in us by the Spirit because we are the sons and daughters of God by the impartation of divine life. And that is astonishing. Peter, who was there that day when Jesus breathed into him later many years, wrote and said, we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, this has everything to do with sonship and daughtership because those who are led by the Spirit are the sons and daughters of God. See, that Spirit is not just in you as a power, as a passive force. The life of Christ in the Spirit that dwells in you and me is there for you to live by. To learn how to live by a life not your own, but by his life. Baha'i's life in the universe. And as you learn how to live by his life, you become more and more like him. You begin to reflect him. You begin to look like him. It is not I, but it is Christ who is living in me. And the more he gains ground in you, and the more you live by him, I'm talking about internally now, the more you grow up into what the New Testament calls the full measure of Christ, unto full stature. So sonship is something you mature into and you grow into. You're a son, you're a daughter, as a child, as a baby spiritually, and then you grow in that life. And I would love to talk about how to live by the indwelling life of Christ. I would love to talk to you about how to follow your, I'm gonna give you a term here you may have never heard, spiritual instincts. How to get in touch with your spiritual instincts, the Christ who is in you by the Spirit, and how to be led by Him, and how to live by Him. But I'm not gonna talk about that today. I have something else I wanna talk about. But I have addressed that in other places, but I just want you to hold that as a bookmark. 
how can I live by the life of Christ? It's a good question. And it's one that plagued me for many years because when I read Galatians 2.20, that's the question that I had. Okay, Paul, you said, it is not I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. How? Where's the handle to that door? Well, I'm going to talk about something very similar, though not the same. I'm going to read Luke 6.40. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. The goal of the Christian life, sisters and brothers, the goal of your life on this planet is to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells in you. And that is a process. And it involves a lot of pain. See, we are rough diamonds. We come to the Lord as pieces of coal. And then God employs heat and pressure. And if we don't waste the heat and pressure, and you can waste your sufferings. And if you waste the suffering, you know what happens? God is not a teacher who fails you. He just lets you take the test all over again. And it will come in the form of a different person. I met that guy before, 10 years ago, five years ago. Why is he in my life again? Well, your God is a gracious teacher. You're taking the test all over again. If you don't waste your sufferings, then you become a diamond. But once you become a diamond, the process is not over. Now in the hands of your father, he's going to chisel. He's going to sand. <laughs> he's going to mold. He's going to shape until you are as exquisite as his glorious son. That is what sonship is all about when the New Testament talks about it. To be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28 verse 29, if you want a footnote. One of the components of transformation is the Lord's presence. And so what I would like to talk to you about very practically is how to live in the conscious presence of God. And this has been an interest of mine ever since I was a young believer in a Pentecostal church. I heard people talking about, oh, I sense the presence of God. And oftentimes I would be like, what do you mean? What does that feel like? What are you talking about? And so over the years, it's been demystified to me. But I want to get real practical and, and talk to you about how you can day by day live in his conscious presence. If you think about it this way, if Jesus Christ was in the flesh, you can see him. You can hear him speak audibly. And he followed you every day. Would that change your behavior? All right, we have like four people who are honest in the room. It would change your behavior. Now, I wrote a book entitled Revise Us Again, and in it I talked about the different aspects of God's presence, and I want to give you a quick riff on that. There are different aspects of His presence. One of them is His omnipresence. His omnipresence. Psalm 139, verse 8, If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're still there. <laughs> You cannot get away from the omnipresence of God because he envelops creation. And this is true for the saved and the unsaved. He's present everywhere. You know that um, reference in the book of Acts when Paul is talking to those philosophical Greeks and he says, in him we live, move, and have our being. Well, I was part of a church that put music to that and it was a song. In him we live, move, and have our being. I don't know if you know that. Well, that was a pagan poet who said that. That wasn't Paul. He was trying to connect with the Greeks. <laughs> he said, one of your own poets says. And what he was pointing out is that this God is everywhere. 
even among the pagans, even among Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, he's there. He cannot escape his presence. So that's the omnipresence of God. Another aspect, and this is very rarely talked about, it's a little known truth, and that is this. The day you receive the life of God, the new birth, you repented and believed, and He came inside you. Ever since that day, sisters and brothers, you have had a background sense of God's presence that never leaves you. You're just not aware of it. I'm wearing these glasses right now. I wear them often. I'm not conscious of it. I'm not conscious of these glasses. I am right now because I drew my attention to them. But five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, an hour ago, unconscious. Why? They're always on me. This ring, I wear it all the time. Not conscious of it. I am now because I drew my attention to it. You are always in the presence of the Lord in a background sense. It's always there. Now, here's the fascinating thing. This is a rare experience. And I've only met two people who had it. Now, listen to me well. This is not a dry spell. This is not a rough patch. This is not a difficult time where you feel far from God. This is more drastic, more severe, more profound. It is when the background sense of God leaves a human being and they feel like an atheist. They still believe in their head, but something has left. And the ancient Christians talked about this in terms of the dark night of the soul. It's more accurate to say the dark night of the spirit. It's where the sense of your spirit, you have a human spirit that was made alive when Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit came into you, quickened your dead spirit. It's as if your spirit has died again. And I heard a man talk about this once and he said, you should never preach on the dark night of the spirit because those who never experienced it will not understand what you're talking about. And those who have had that experience do not want to be reminded it is the most hellish thing on the planet. I've only known two people who had it. And here's what they both said. I never knew I had the background sense of God's presence. That's my term. Until it left me. Then I knew. And then when it came back, I knew that too. Now that's an important insight. It's like a fish. If you were to ask a fish, <laughs> fish, what's it like to swim in water? I don't know. I'm always in the water. But you take that fish out of the water, it will drastically know in a profound way it's out of its environment. And that's what it is. Now, I give you that insight because it's important with respect to what I'm going to share with you. There's a third kind of presence of God in terms of experience. It's what I call the vivid awareness of God's presence or the felt presence of God. And this is where you cannot deny that the Lord is with you in, in a striking, undeniable way. And I have surveyed people, because this is really interesting to me. I've surveyed people and I asked them, okay, when you have the felt presence of God, the vivid awareness, what is it like? Can you describe it? Some people, uh, they say, well, it's like chills all over my body. I even have goosebumps on my arms. And Brother Matthew, you had a, a name for it that had to do with a chicken. What was it? Chicken skins. When you have the chicken skins. <laughs> all right, that's how I know the presence of God, one person said. For other people, they feel a wind blowing, but the wind is inside them. Other people physically shake and they can't control it. Other people feel this flood of peace that just eradicates all fear and anxiety. Other people weep. They're so touched 
by the Lord's presence that they cannot hold the tears back. These are just some examples of the felt presence of God. But sisters and brothers, that doesn't happen 24-7. I like talking to y'all because you're talking back to me. That's good. Sometimes I have to tell passive, quiet audiences, the less you talk to me, the more I turn into Ben Stein. I don't know if you know who Ben Stein is. Pull him up on a YouTube video and you'll know who I'm talking about. I want to talk to you about a more normative aspect of the presence of God where you can live in his conscious presence all the time. You don't have to wait for the chicken skin <laughs> or the weeping or the flood or the shaking or whatever it is. And this is an important component to your transformation growing into his image. Full stature, full sonship. Listen to Matthew 1.23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and she shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. How can we know in an active way the withness of God? The withness of God. How can I know practically he's with me? I know in, in my mind, I can read the Bible. I mean, Jesus promised, Matthew 28, he tells his disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, he said, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But how can we know that withness on a more practical level? And that's what I'm going to talk to you about. I believe we can say that there are four outstanding marks of living in the conscious presence of God, whereby we know beyond our mind that he's with us. And I'm willing to divided up into four words. One, attention. Attention. Two, ability. Three, adequacy. And four, affirmation. So let's look at attention. By attention, you can be in the conscious presence of God simply by a deliberate act of putting your mind and your thoughts on the Lord himself. This is the opposite of mental coasting. You can actually set your mind on him. All right. We talked about the background sense of his presence. It's always there. These glasses are always on my face in my waking hours, normally. I'm not conscious of it, but I can set my attention on it. And right now, my attention is on these glasses, and guess what? I know they're on my face. I'm aware of it. My attention is given to it. Same thing with the ring on my finger. You can be unconscious of it, you're not thinking about it, but you can deliberately, with intention, put your mind on the ring, ah, there it is. I'm actually beholding it. Ah. Now, there's a lot in the Bible about this. And I'm going to just read you some scripture, and I just want you to listen. Isaiah 26, 3. You, O God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Philippians 4.8, what's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Those are all descriptions of Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's all those things. Think about these things. Colossians 3.1.2, if we are raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 2 Corinthians 4.18 So we fix our eyes 
We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. You have eyes that can see the unseen, not physical. For what is seen is temporary, what is not seen is eternal. Hebrews 3.1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Psalm 16.8, I have set the Lord continually before me. Now Psalm 16 is a prayer of Jesus that's recorded in Acts. Because Jesus is speaking to the Father. The writer of Acts, actually this is Peter speaking, and he's putting this in the mouth of Jesus. And so when Jesus was on this earth, the Father was always on his mind. He was constantly setting his mind on the Father. He was living in the presence of the Father. But then he passed the baton on to you and me. For what the Father was to Jesus, Jesus is to you and me. Hold your mind on the Lord. Hold him before you. Romans 8, 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 8, remember Jesus Christ. In other words, put your mind on Him. Think about Him. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ are being transformed. You become what you behold. And the more you're looking at Him, the more you're thinking about Him, the more your mind is on Him, the more you are conformed into He rubs off on you. And, and here, is, here is a mind blower, sisters and brothers. If you develop and cultivate the habit of putting your mind on the Lord, there will eventually be a shift where you don't really have to make much effort. He will always be on your mind. But if you give attention to this, you give attention to him and you develop and cultivate this habit there'll be a shift and he's always before you and that is one way we can live in the conscious presence of the lord now i'm going to give you a practical handle on this something you can implement in your life it takes a little bit of intention to do it but i have found it to be revolutionary most of your internal thoughts is self-talk. You're talking to yourself. Oh, wow, I didn't realize this church building, meeting place was so big. Wow, I didn't expect so many people to be here in the morning. Shouldn't they be at work? <laughs> well, brothers and sisters, here's a handle. Develop the habit of turning self-talk into talk with the Lord. Lord, this is a great building. Brother Matt's blessed. And thank you for bringing all these people here, and I hope none of them get fired this morning. You see what I mean? Turn the self-talk into talk with the Lord. That's a way you can put your attention on Him. That's a way you can live in His conscious presence. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, those of you who belong to the same church, would you remind one another to do this? Because you're going to forget. You will forget. Trust me. This will stay in your notebook as, wow, that was a good message. But if you don't apply it, sisters and brothers, it means nothing. All right, here's the second practical way we could live in the conscious presence of the Lord. I put it under the word ability. It is when you pay attention, you give thought to, you recognize that God is enabling you and empowering you to do 
that which you cannot do in your own natural power and strength and ingenuity. All right, when you draw on a power that is not your own and you stand back and say, there's no way I could have pulled that off. That's the ability of God working through you. But if you're not conscious of it, it'll slip through. You won't recognize that this is God being with you. All right, every conference I speak in, I have learned this over the years. I am in fear and trembling of my own natural strength and power because I know that if I draw on my own natural abilities to speak, to share, there's no impact. There's not gonna be a revelation. There's not gonna be that power that only God can supply that's going to penetrate into the hearts of people who are listening. And people can say amen and people can clap, but that power has not been transmitted. There's not that seeing of the Lord. There's not that transforming of, there's not that enlightenment. But when he is speaking through me, I know it. I can tell there's a power that's coming through and people are impacted. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't prepare. I don't just wing it, but I'm so dependent and reliant on the Lord. And I can remember four occasions, and I, I tried to repress all four, but it didn't work. Uh, but I, I think about them painfully, but there were four occasions where I spoke. And I knew the Lord was not with me in that sense. And it was terrible. And I never want to repeat it again. So whenever I'm speaking, I ask the brothers and the sisters I know to pray for me. And I am before the Lord because if he is not speaking and revealing his glory, his soul staggering splendor, his glory, his reality, then it's just going to be another message. And we're all going to go home and forget about it. And there it is in the notebook from 2003. You have a task to do. And you trust him with all you have. Because you know it's beyond you. And he comes through and you marvel and you awe. That is an example of the conscious presence of God, his witness. And again, it's not that you don't prepare. I like, well, I love what Dallas Willard said one time. It's never left me. He said, when you prepare to do something for the Lord, you do your best, but you don't trust your best. You trust God. Ah, uh, so you prepare. Every book I have written, well, I can't say every book. Uh, I've written over 20 books, but the ones that have transformed people and impact people, it was beyond my natural ability. And I don't want to spook you out, but some of those books that I have written, I don't even remember writing them. Now, that doesn't mean that some force took me over and <laughs> had me typing and I was in a trance. That's not what I'm saying. I just have no memory of it. I have no memory of it. And, and I don't, I'm not a, an author who likes to look at what I've written in the past. In fact, I, I don't do that because I usually find statements that I wish I would have written differently. But once in a while, people will quote a section of one of my books and it'll come up on social media and I'll say, my goodness, I don't remember writing that, but boy, that's powerful. I know it was the Lord. <laughs> that wasn't me. Amen. That's his ability. That's his ability. I remember a time where uh, myself and another brother had to confront a situation we had to speak to a believer in, in one of the churches we were working with. And I, I didn't want to do it. It was one of those pins and needles issues, very sensitive. And I'm someone who does not want to offend anyone, especially if you have to bring a correction. But we had to do it. And we walked into the room. And boy, I was just in fear and trembling of myself, but dependent on the Lord. And we sat down with this person and it was like oil flowing. The words were just so easy to come by. I prepared a little bit, but there were things coming out of me and my brother that 
were astonishing. And this person was a weeping, just weeping, and so grateful. They thanked us, thank you so much. I mean, that's rare to bring a word of correction and have someone thank you, you know? And so I knew that was the Lord, beyond my natural ability, okay? So sisters and brothers, give your mind to him, hold him before you, and open your eyes to see his ability. And whenever you have to walk into a situation, do not rely on your natural ingenuity, wisdom, power, strength. Rely on Him. And you will know the witness of God. The third one is adequacy. Adequacy. We have a passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, one of my favorite. Casting all your anxiety on Him. All your care, all your fret, all your fear on Him. Because He cares for you. All right. We can read that, we can stand on it, we can claim it, we can repeat it, we can memorize it. But his adequacy, what I mean by that is the active, undeniable signs that you can point to and look at that he cares about you and he's adequate to meet your need. And there are many, many aspects of this. I'll just talk about financial. And I'm sure if we brought many of you up here to give testimonials, we'd be here for several hours on how the Lord provided finances when you needed it and you know it was Him. All right, I'll give you two from my own life. When I first married my wife, she had a loan against a mortgage that was over $20,000. She had to pay, it was on her. It wasn't her fault. It was a situation that happened beforehand. And so we were staring at a $20,000 debt. And, you know, we, we didn't worry about it. We just gave it to the Lord, but we weren't praying fervently or anything like that. A couple weeks later, I remember having the conversation with her. A couple weeks later, we get a letter. She got the letter, and it said, this letter is to notify you that we have forgiven your debt. You do not have to pay anything. Unexplainable, out of nowhere. What is that? That's the witness of God. <laughs> Lord, your presence is with us. I remember another time we'd come into some extra finances and it was on my heart to, to give a sizable gift to a, to a young brother in the Lord. And so we met with him in person. I handed him a check. I'm not gonna tell the amount, but we'll just say it's $3,000. It was more than that. Gave him a check. Opens it up, thankful. Hours later, hours later, a woman who had no idea that we had given this young man the check hands me a check in an envelope. My wife and I open it up, $3,000. Same exact amount within hours. That's the witness of God. And I don't care what it is. You're going through the northeast corner of hell and you need to be comforted and you turn to him and you feel his comfort and you weep maybe uncontrollably that's the adequacy of your god he's with you and you know it or you need direction or sometimes direction comes to you out of left field or right field or the other stadium I'll tell you one story about this. <laughs> My wife and I were going to uh, Alabama on, on a trip there. And as I was packing, this thought came to me. It was a, you know, a subtle impression. Bring an extra pair of glasses. Now at the time, I never brought a second pair of glasses. I just had one pair, that's what I wear. And I, I ignored it at first. But I keep packing and it, it comes to me again. Bring a second pair. So I thought, what? Okay. And I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not a guy who says, well, the Lord told me. I just don't do that. It's just my way. I don't mind other people doing it. But I just went with the impression. I put the second pair of glasses in the bag. Well, we're in Alabama, and some unexpected event took place. I lost my glasses. <laughs> and it was like, Lord, you're with me. Yes. That was you. <laughs> 
I was so full of thankfulness and praise and worship, not just that I was able to drive home because without my glasses, I'm Mr. Magoo on the road. You know, there's no way I could do that or anything else. But just the fact that he cared so much, a little thing, right? And brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what you're going through. There are three kinds of crises. There's a financial crisis, a health crisis, and some of the worst of all are relational crises. Those are the three kind of crises. And sisters and brothers, your father allows those things to come into your life because he wants to gain more ground in you, less of you, more of him. I wrote a book on this called Hang On, Let Go. It's all about how to navigate your crises. But through those crises, you can see the adequate hand of God in your life and know that he's with you. And that brings me to the fourth one, which uh, I have only in recent years uh, discovered. For many, many years, I did not pay attention to coincidences. This is called affirmation, affirmation. Second Corinthians 13:1. every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Job 33:14. for God speaks in one way, ah, no, but in two, though man does not perceive it. Someone once said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. <laughs> And I don't know if this is true, but someone recently said that in Hebrew, there is no word for coincidence. Affirmation is the Lord affirming, sometimes without the individuals involved even knowing it, that he's with you. He's leading you, he's behind you. And it could come through a word of knowledge. You know, I'm talking to a Pentecostal charismatic, you know what the word of knowledge is. Sometimes, though, the Lord will speak through a person, they won't even be conscious of it. This happened over the last few days. Uh, I told a story to some of the leaders I was meeting with, and one of the brothers told a story. This was sometime after, I think it was the next day. He told a story about his daughter, and he mentioned a psalm. Well, he had no way of knowing, but that psalm was something I was going to speak on. And when he said that, I felt chicken skin. (laughs) I don't know why that's hard for me to remember. (laughs) I felt chicken skin. I was like, brothers, let me tell you that psalm. And then I told the story. Last April, I was with a group of leaders. And uh, one of the meetings I shared on quality over quantity. I gave a a little message on that, quality over quantity. And some of the brothers lit up. I can see their faces glowing. Frank, you won't believe it. Just an hour ago at lunch, we were talking about quality over quantity. The same thing. I've had times where I have not shared what I was going to speak on at a conference. I, I never unveiled beforehand. That's my custom. I'm sitting with some brothers, they have no knowledge of what I'm going to speak on, and we pray, and one of the brothers mentions in the prayer the theme of the conference, but it's part of the prayer. You know, things like that. Another time I was with a group of leaders, and a week beforehand I had written their names down because I was going to put them in pairs. And just before I did that, I was getting ready to unveil the pairs, they were all sitting next to the person I put them with. Things like that. I mean, sisters and brothers, open your eyes. Take note. God is affirming what you're doing. And it's his witness. So these are four ways that you can live in the conscious presence of your Lord. Attention. Make that a habit in your life. Ability. Adequacy, affirmation. And I'm going to close this by reading you two passages that have to do with transformation and the renewal of your mind. 
Because all of the four things I've mentioned require that your mind be renewed, that you develop certain habits to see that you as a Christian, me as a Christian, for us, every bush is burning. We just have to look. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How am I transformed? By the renewal of my mind. Notice it doesn't say the removal of your mind. Uh, I say that because I have met Christians who they're anti-intellectual to a fault. Like, you use your mind, that's a bad thing. So I'm not going to read books. I'm not going to take courses. Uh, I'm not going to do any. I'm just going to read my Bible. It's me and Jesus. It's not the removal of your mind. It's the renewal of your mind. Yes. Ephesians 4.22, put off the old self. It belongs to your former life. It's corrupt with deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. These are four ways, sisters and brothers, as sons and daughters of God, you can renew your mind to live in the conscious presence of God. While the vivid awareness of His presence is wonderful, while the felt presence of God is great, you don't have to wait for those moments. You can live every day in His presence because He lives in you and me. Praise the Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And this is the way to seek Him. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. Open eyes to see that you're confirming that you're with us at all times.